Hello and welcome to Between the Mountains podcast with me, Chris, and today we've got TJ on the show. I give him a proper introduction at the beginning of the interview, but he is a professional skier and a long distance, we're talking ultra level, uh, trail runner. Super interesting character. We delve into the skiing, the running, we delve into balancing lifestyle, some photography, we talk about meditation, headspace, getting outdoors, so many interesting topics and he is a very experienced and collected guy so listening to him really was my pleasure if you like it let me know but otherwise let's just jump straight into it hello welcome to between the mountains podcast with me chris and today we've got tj on the show thank you so much for coming on how are you doing good yeah you're welcome happy to be on the show with you Sure, yeah, it should be quite interesting. Um, so TJ is a professional skier and endurance athlete residing in Colorado. His experience has seen him mountaineering, skiing in Chamonix, uh, kayaking in Colorado, and competing in several endurance challenges, such as the North Face Endurance Challenge and the Indian Creek 50s. His skill and name has been slapped onto billboards, commercials, and every major publication in, in the industry, and he even finds time still to run his own company and maintain his clients. He has an incredibly humble and experienced view on things, and it's my pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, and thanks. That's, that's as best here. as I could do your entire career in a, in a paragraph. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> no, no worries. So uh, much, of our, uh, much of what we do as adults can often be led back to childhood experiences. And recently, I've also been uh, reading up on the restless gene, which is like a genetic explanation for adventure. Um, which kind of fascinates me. But I'm interested to know from you, how did you get into this fantastic life sk- lifestyle? Um, you know, it's been, it's been an evolution. There wasn't one focal point in which, you know, everything kind of uh, birthed from, but I, I got into skiing at a really young age. Um, I think I was around four, three or four years old with my dad uh, taking me skiing in New Jersey where we grew up um, and I, I skied my whole life uh, after that. We skied in Vermont which um, the East Coast is kind of known for not maybe not the biggest mountains but the toughest conditions so you learn to become a good skier in, in difficult conditions and when you get to um, you know out west in Colorado or to travel to other countries and things like that and the conditions are much better um, you end up being really prepared for those situations and you get to capitalize on them which is which is really great and um, also I I went to school on the east coast and had opportunities to um, spend a lot of time skiing Uh, when I was in university I was also a college athlete and played tennis Um, so the two kind of butted heads at times but uh, you know during my college years I started to focus a lot on skiing and I kind of knew that I wanted to move uh, from the East Coast, New York, where I was in school to maybe Utah or Colorado. Ended up moving out to Utah and soon after started competing in big mountain free skiing competition. And that's kind of where I got my first sponsorships and my first opportunities in the industry. Um, And everything started to grow from there. Uh, The interesting, you know, part of that was I thought I was only gonna come out and and live out west for a year or two and then go back uh to school in new york 
uh, to go to law school. And that was what my career path was going to be. That's was one of my major fields of study at university. And, you know, as I dove into yeah. the lifestyle and started to spend time working in a law firm and had for a <laughs> while, I started to weigh the pros and cons. I, I really was struggling to work at a desk and was developing some pretty unhealthy habits, habits that didn't feel natural to me. Um, and so I, with time, you know, the, the skiing thing evolved a lot and became, you know, a big focus for me. And, you know, here I am now doing that full time yeah. as well as running my, my coaching business. So we nearly could have had you in front of the judges or at Wimbledon. <laughs> to <Yeah. play> in- <laughs> Wimbledon would have been nice. I, you know, we, we, I'm a good tennis player, but not certainly not a professional. Uh, I certainly don't <laughs> do it at the level that I ski or run. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was a great uh, impetus for other and future athletic uh, pursuits, you know, later in my life. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, skiing and running brings brings with it the side effect of fantastic scenery, too. So, whereas tennis, you have a lot of people in hats uh, being quite posh around you, I think. <laughs> Speaking a bit like uh, me. Yeah, <laughs> uh-huh. it's very true. But, uh, you know... Sim- <laughs> In a similar way uh, that skiing is so dynamic, um, you know, so is the sport of tennis. I think people who play tennis know that and who appreciate the sport and other people who just don't understand it, uh, like other things in your life that you just don't understand, it's hard to have an appreciation of it. But I think that I couldn't be the athlete that I am now, um, you know, multi, a multidisciplinarian that's tough to do without having had that kind of background before. So um, I attribute a lot of that to, you know, growing up skiing, certainly skiing for 30 years helps you become a good skier, but um, (laughs) all of the training that was involved in, um, you know, college career and and all of that uh, plays in huge for, for mountaineering and for trail running and for ultra running too. Yeah. Um, and actually, ultra running, that's a brilliant, I like it when that happens, that was a nice segue, um, because as someone who runs upwards of 300 miles each month, how important do you think it is for people to get outdoors and exercise? I, you know, <laughs> we can go so many directions with that. Whole um, other podcast, I think, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, in it, so I have um, a certificate in holistic and integrative uh, health and wellness and coaching. Um, and that's kind of what forms the foundation of my coaching business. And that approach is really important. And it's kind of, you know, the holistic approach is very all encompassing. And part of that is spending time outside, um, and exercising, you know, that's integral to your, your overall well-being. Uh, it's something that we all need to have, um, not everybody needs to have the amount of time outside and exercise that I have, but everybody <laughs> needs a little bit of it. Um, you know, if, if time outside is spent on somewhat of a scale, you want to, you know, for you, you want to have, you know, be balancing that out. So if you do spend time inside, it's, it's very important. You know, I would say even more so now, and we're seeing um, with COVID and a lot of the stay-at-home orders, 
people discovering um, or discovering <laughs> the importance of time outside and, and the benefit of all of that. It's really nice. Yeah. And it's actually something for me that's uh, been hard with the way my br- the the sort of the mandatory thinking that my brain falls into um, is people going outdoors. Initially, I wanted to go, no, you never went out before. What are you doing? Uh, and actually, the positive of it is whether it's through rebellion or through discovery, either way, they are now outdoors and getting that uh, getting that mental health sort of age to them. Because that's a good point to read. If you're listening to this in the future, um, how is it, firstly? <laughs> and um, and also, at time of recording, we are now in quarantine. So, yeah, that, that's the, the mention for COVID-19 there. Yeah. Um, it, I just wanted to comment what, on that. Yeah. You know, the, the aspects that you mentioned of spending time outside and exercising, whether it's walking or going for a run, skiing, whatever that is, um, there are really strong links to an overall you know, heightened state of being, yeah. Yeah. the endorphins you get from being outside, uh, the time spent out there, it is really important for your mental health. Um, so I yeah. appreciate bringing that up. Yeah, yeah, the headspace is, a, it's, well, it's, it's nice that we're talking about it more, um, actually. I've got, I'll, I'll ask you about it a bit later, actually, yeah. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a question down the line on the importance of meditation, which I suppose we could talk about now, actually, seeing as we're, we're doing it, because you've got quite, um, I think some sensible and intricate views on on meditation and headspace, and especially given just how accessible it is now. You know, before you know, you'd think maybe, oh, I have to go see to see you know, some, a Buddha in uh, in China and go take a long hike through the mountains or something. And now you can go on YouTube and find a guided meditation. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah, uh, for you, especially seeing as you have that holistic accreditation, you are quite. The right person to ask i mean that importance of meditation in whatever way and the different types that you can get that suit you too yeah actually i was just i've just been writing a series of blog posts for our athletes on the subject right now because during uh you know a time of where a lot of people are quarantining self-quarantining on um, you know having to deal with stay-at-home orders um and maybe spending a little bit less time working on um, time to build you know habits that you can use now and later to kind of help manage and balance stress in your life are really important and um, mm-hmm. it's a good opportunity if you have the the space for it right now um you know i've used meditation for since i was 13 and i'm 33 so oh, i've geez. been using that uh, <laughs> meditation and visualization and breath work for a really long time. Um, I started doing it because I was like really anxious and nervous as a kid, uh, mainly like with test taking and um, in, in athletic performance, um, public speaking, things like that. I would just get a lot of nerves. So I started with like the visualization process and, and working through my breath and getting attuned to that uh, and developing awareness around that. And then later I started to um, use it you know as a tool for inward looking too yeah. um, and, and i've and i found that uh you know like many things it's a, a very multifunctional tool so you can use it for stress management um you can use it for you know dealing with your anxiety uh and things like that 
Um, but you can also use it to, to visualize um, success in an athletic event or working through yeah. tough moments during an athletic event um, and, and practice uh, the visualization of responding correctly to the adverse situation or the challenging situation. I think, um, you know, for me, that's been really integral for my development as an athlete. I think, you know, specifically in the outdoor and ski industry where uh, it's very difficult to become a paid athlete. Um, there's a lot of athletes, a lot of really good athletes. There's not a lot of money or resources in the States for athletes. Um, and you can quickly get beat up and fall into these cycles of, uh, you know, working for less than you're, you know, you're valued at or working for nothing um, or yeah. just getting told no a lot. Uh, and, and, you know, life is a lot like that sometimes. Um, so I've really yeah. used meditation to work through those situations as well. Um, and, and a lot of like inward looking, which is, you know, self-discovery, I think is, is very important um, in terms of uh, getting more comfortable with who you are so you can continue to move forward and give your best self to the people you're working with or encountering on a daily basis. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I mean, it's to the listeners, if, if you don't do it, I do it on and off. No, not meticulously. But mm -hmm. I think if you've ever had that rush of cortisol, just that stress, and you take a deep breath and you've ever felt that work, imagine just doing it, you know, again, getting good at it as well and just spending 10 minutes just breathing out. Um, and it's, it's odd as well. For me, I don't really like the the meditations where you like you tense up your body then relax it more uh, I, i'm not all for that i'm much more for the visual visualization techniques so um but uh, another segue back in there um visualization uh, kind of a segue you'll, you'll get it um uh, so i've noticed in your instagram stories uh, what i really like is you will take a fantastic photo and then you will upload it again with your caption and it got me thinking how much time do you actually get to spend on your photography or unless that has a complete accident each time <laughs> there's a misupload. <laughs> uh, no, you know, I, I actually earlier on in my career spent a lot of time doing photography and videography. Um, that's kind of always been a component of what I do because of the, you know, the content that, that brands ask for, um, having that kind of collateral invested in an athlete is important so mm. you know, I do spend a lot of time trying to line up and take a, a good photo um although it, it goes noticed thank you <laughs> I, I don't post as much as I used to I'm trying to spend less time using that particular platform and more time engaging with you know people and I would say more face-to-face -face interactions kind of like this one I, I feel this space holds a lot more value for me than than Instagram, but um, it's uh, it's really important, especially for you know if any other athletes are listening. If you can be your own content creator, you're going to have a lot more value to you know you're going to add more value to the brands that are investing and and paying you to work on their behalf. And um, so certainly that's that's a big aspect to it. Yeah, because actually one of the things I was going to talk to you about was how finding that balance between content and also living in the moment 
uh, I mean, I, I was actually listening to the um, the Stoke Cast podcast with you on all the way back at episode sixteen um, uh, with them, which is another podcast I recommend people listen to, by the way. Um, and and I remember you saying how sometimes if it's just not even just as simple as if it's not convenient to get your camera or your phone out, you just won't take the picture. You just enjoy it. But um, I was interested to know how how you actually balance getting that content, but then also living in the moment. It's a tough balance. I think, you know, anybody yeah. who's been following me on Instagram for, I don't know, the last three or four years will know that, like, that used to be really important to me, mm. uh, finding the balance. But the evolution of that has changed quite quite a lot for me. You know, now, um, now for me, being in the moment is just not even taking the camera out. And yeah. I... I'll be very honest, I simply do it to fulfill a lot of the obligations that I have with sponsors. Um, I don't think I would use the platform much anymore if it wasn't for um, obligations with that. And yeah. and I do use it as a tool to support my athletes and, and kind of keep up and, and be aware of what they're up to and, and kind of repost. Yeah their content and support them and it's good marketing for my company um as well but you know it's i think that there's a big evolution to that I, you, once you get comfortable with what you're doing you rely a lot less on the validation of the likes and the views sure. a lot of my content is like me cooking in my kitchen <laughs> i've seen on your stories yeah <laughs> it's us coaching in our like 400 square foot um apartment or like once in a while me playing my guitar i mean it's like lifestyle stuff that's completely unrelated to training or skiing um you know i try to post like nice pictures if i'm out on a run i do it a lot more yeah. on on my longer runs because i give myself a lot more grace when i'm out for two or three hours and i'm like oh taking a few seconds to stop and take a nice photo like if it's something that I appreciate, if I'm appreciating that Vista, I'm gonna take a picture of it. Yeah, um, sure. I'm deep in the depths of a hard interval workout, I'm not taking <laughs> yeah. the camera yeah. out. You, you wouldn't stop in the middle of a hundred meter to, to take a photo, would you? <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't, and I, I know that there are some athletes out there who like to do that, and I think that that's, that's all fine and good. Um, you know, I just see my role in social media um, I personally think that there's only diminishing returns to it. You know, I've been the kind of person who has been paid thousands of dollars by uh, big brands to post on their behalf. And I honestly never felt good about using my space for that and only did it because I needed to make money to pay for, you know, my rent, my food, et cetera. Yeah. Um, because we're, you know, we all have jobs. For sure, um, yeah. And to remove myself from those. I think situations for me, it gives me a better uh, ability to, without being compromised, um, to give advice to my athletes and recommend products to them that I really use and uh, that I really endorse. For sure. So I, I really only work with brands now that uh, reflect those kind of things, and uh, it's been a total evolution. It's it's yeah. an interesting thing. But it's it, as far as selling goes. I think 
um you know it's been said before being first is great but if everyone else is there you've got to be the best and i think as far as that sponsorship angle goes authenticity is so much better and that comes from the heart when it is something you believe in you know you know for this show for instance if i use world nomads travel insurance I think they're really good. It's super affordable. It just means if I fall off a mountain, then I'm, I'm, I'm sorted out. And um, and if they came to me and said, yeah, we want to sponsor, I'd be like, yeah, sure. But then if, you know, some personalized vitamins company came to me and said, you know, you, you know, we want to sponsor your show, you know, good product or not, that's not for me to say, but that's not something I'm into. And it'd be so hard to, I know, I, I guess that the whole rule of sleeping at night is important. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, if it doesn't feel right, don't do it, I suppose. Yeah, I think it's important yeah. to trust your intuition. I think for people who use Instagram and platforms like that, it's important to take with a grain of salt all the things that you see. Yeah. What yeah. is authentic? In... Look for that hashtag ad in the, in the post. <laughs> but I think, you know, even even further from that is um, what's what's truly authentic when you can manicure every word and airbrush your photos and, and pick the perfect way to yeah. articulate your thoughts. Um, you know, a lot of that might come with good intentions, but I would think it's the authenticity behind that is relatively limited, um, much more so than an interaction that is occurring right now in the moment, like our conversation. Yeah. Um, you know, I only have in this moment limited capacity to pick and choose how I articulate my responses here. Yeah. Um, you know, in a, in a timely manner that flows with the podcast. I think that that um, is a very different situation than social media. That's something that I think about a lot when yeah. I get online and who I choose to engage with and how it's, I engage with my, my audience. Well, it's good that you're consciously being online rather than just cruising and then, I guess, losing an element of yourself just because you're you're just scrolling and updating and posting. <laughs> you know, I think we all know someone who's a bit like that. So, yeah. Um, so looking into your endurance athleticism, what place does that have compared to your skiing? And what is it that drives you to get up and repeatedly run these fantastic distances? Uh, I found that the running under, like, underwrites, underlies my work as an endurance athlete and my passions in the ski mountaineering kind of uh, micro discipline in a really nice way. Um, I've never, I haven't really been an endurance runner my entire life. I've been, you know, trail running in order to facilitate, you know, uh, a better, you know, how do I, in order to facilitate having a stronger aerobic base for these big uh, ski mountaineering missions. I've been doing that for a while. I mean, probably like seven or eight years. Um, yeah. But I've only been competing for three or four years. Um, and that's because I solely used trail running as, you know, a summer, spring, summer and fall vehicle for getting ready for ski season. Um, and as my, you know, as things evolve and my interests kind of shifted um, to these bigger missions, to going out farther or to maybe linking up um, several objectives that you'd usually do uh, maybe one day at a time into, you know, multi-objective single day outings. That kind of thing has just required having better fitness. Um, mm. And I found that what worked for me was running. Um, I don't, 
I can't tell you why like that exactly works for me if that's you know genetics or um just having a great coach that I mesh with really like closely um I could easily pro I could have made a lot of great changes and just done only uphill skiing to train for big ski mountaineering days too um but I find that it's easy and convenient to do the running I can literally walk out my door, <laughs> run for 10 miles on roads or trails, um, you know, and come back to the house and, and get, get about my, my work day. And yeah. then I can go out again in the afternoon and do a recovery run. Um, and so the convenience there is huge, um, yeah. you know, kind of to streamline your life and to, um, take away these other variables like traveling far to do things um, and to save those travels for like the really big days. It's something that like um, really interests me in, into minimizing my, my impacts. And um, I just get uh, a really good like overall sense of well-being from having the underlying training and it's helped me a lot. So. Yeah. that's kind of where things are shifting you know i think the running provides this great framework and aerobic base for something that i'm already good at um i don't need yeah. to ski every day anymore i've been skiing for 30 years and quite honestly it doesn't interest me as much to ski every day if i lived in chamonix and places that like have a lot more value to me now and, and interest and can help accelerate my and keep moving me upwards in terms of my skill set and the mountains that I can access and things like that, I think I would certainly be open to changing my current approach. But right now, this is the approach that works really well for me because my fitness baseline continues to, you know, that bar continues to be raised. Um, and then I'm better able to go out and, and like my vision of doing these multi-objective days I'm actually able to put that, you know, in, in, that comes into fruition. Um, even this year, we've had some good days early on before we were all on stay-at-home orders. Yeah. It's been nice to see this long-term vision for my career sort of start to take shape. But it's been yeah. like a multi-year investment in myself to, to step back a little bit from the skiing, work exclusively on my fitness. Um, and to compete in trail running, you know, and I've had a lot of success there, which has been cool. Yeah. So yeah, I found some some link that had your uh, the competitions you've done since 2017, I think, uh, mm -hmm. all entered in. Uh, it was uh, it was nuts to see how many you've done. <laughs> so, um, yeah. uh, I I used to do middle distance running, and um, I need to get back into it because uh, hiking and mountain climbing is becoming quite quickly a massive passion of mine and, and i've very realized um if i don't have in fact i double checked this with a guy called john gupta yesterday um he's climbed everest three times and uh, done all sorts and i said i said by the way uh, i'm thinking of running to be a bit better with altitude i'm thinking maybe if my lungs can process oxygen better i'll be, I'll be better when there's less of it uh and I, was, I was like but i really don't know what i'm doing and, and he said yeah you know big legs big lungs is is what you need for for, for doing it so so, yeah, and I think a long-term approach and investment in yourself, I think that's something that more people need to consider doing, I think. It's, yeah. Um, it's, so many people are chasing that short term. I, I, I agree, and I think for me, 
diving into a pro, like a more process oriented way of thinking about my career as an athlete, the way I train, the way I approach um, goal setting and, you know, objectives that I have for myself. Um, the evolution of all of that, you know, has been a big shift in like, how can I satisfy myself today in terms of what I want to do to build my resume as an athlete to get a good get good contracts to pay my rent to you know have food in the pantry um to like how can I invest in myself to have a long and sustainable career um that isn't necessarily about short-term gains now but is about like the big big gains much later on that only come through working hard every day for many weeks, months, and years. Um, You know, I think I'm sort of just starting to see the the benefits of the investment, you know, kind of coming into, you know, year three of um, working with the coach and all of that. You know, I've had pretty good and steady results in competition um you know since basically the first year i ran ultras um but you know even in the last year the the results have really gotten quite is significantly better in terms of um you know how fast i'm running these events and and by how much i'm beating other people not that that's really the goal of anything but i'm you know showing up to an event that i did a you know previous year or a distance that i'd done before um, and, and, you know, um, having like hour long PRs and stuff like that, which is pretty yeah. amazing. So when you're, if you're able to zoom out a little bit and say like progress really happens and it's the same with all aspects of your life, whether you're trying to become a, an artist or, um, you know, you're trying to grow a company or you're trying to become a better partner, a better uh, listener, whatever the things are that matter to you, being more present with people, those are all things just like being an athlete in training that cultivation takes many weeks, months, and years. It's very cumulative, especially with the experiences. So for me, it's always tough. Like even even this season with um, coronavirus happening and our area being, you know, a hot spot for for COVID-19 and, and not being very equipped to handle it. Um, you know, I've had sponsors ask me to take a step back, um, you know, from, from my goal setting and, and to keep things more responsible. And I, and I, even though that's in line with my way of thinking and what I would be doing and have been doing anyways, um, I've sometimes still find it difficult to set aside some of the, short term or like celebration moments that you have along the way because if you're all you're ever doing is training um all the training ever was was training so you have to use it yeah. for something too um and that, so this year was really challenging I, like I had some lofty goals set for this spring skiing wise for myself um in which i'm reorienting into next year um which the benefit is of that is i'm going to be a much stronger and more capable athlete a year from now the short kind of side of the stick is like, you know, if I was successful in um, achieving some of those goals, I 
you know, I'm no longer going to have the opportunity to have that on my resume as I go back to kind of work through um, different uh, contracts and then negotiate, uh, you know, what things are looking yeah. for 2021. Um, and, and that's fine and good. You know, it's all kind of part of the evolution. I think over time you loosen your grip on that kind of stuff and you just let it evolve in the way that it will. For sure. Um, and we just mentioned our sponsors, uh, they're our sponsors. Uh, it's all you, <laughs> not, not me. <laughs> um, I've just been there for the ride. <laughs> um, um, and actually I was, you did touch upon it a little, a little bit in the, uh, the, um, Stokecast episode actually. Uh, but I was interested to, to hear from you directly. How does gaining sponsorship through competition compare with today where I, I presume, uh, sponsorship is gained f- through social media and, and what was that transition like? <laughs> it was really rough for me, actually. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, you, when, when I put so much effort into my social media following for so long, um, and started to like gain some traction there, it was pretty, it was pretty neat. Like it gave me a lot of opportunities. And like I said, you know, I had, uh, big brands giving me money to post on their behalf. Um, and you know, for a while that that's all good. Uh, and it, mm. you know, afforded me a lot of trips and, um, opportunity really what it afforded me was opportunity to advance my career. Yeah. Uh, and without opportunity doesn't really matter how much talent training ability you have without opportunity, it's very hard to capitalize or to take advantage of certain moments that exist. Yeah, like you um, said, training's just training if you don't do anything with it. So yeah, yeah. and you need um, that. You know, it's interesting. I kind of, I was in the place for a while where, you know, I had a lot of sponsors that required a certain number of posts for me and whatnot. Um, I'm actually completely moving away from that now. I'm trying not to have those kind of stipulations in my contracts anymore because it's something that I just don't want to do a whole lot of unless it's in a very organic way. Um, I was working with a really big brand in the industry and they were giving me a good amount of money. Um, You know, it was rent and insurance for a year uh, to do a certain number of manicured posts for them. And when I had first kind of gotten that look at that contract and was like, this is, this is amazing. Like, this is what I've needed for a while, um, to, you know, no longer have to do like work on the side and all of this other stuff. This is what I need, like baseline wise to support me while I continue to work on my own business and all of this stuff. Um, I found like after a few short months of doing that, like, I just couldn't tolerate it. It was just so, um, it, there was no authenticity. It was all about getting people to buy products. And um, quite frankly, uh, I I still feel a little bit like uncomfortable with the whole situation. The fact that I even accepted in that contract and um, you know, soon, soon after that, actually the contract dissolved over a disagreement about, um, another portion of the contract, which was then like added on, um, in regard to a big trip that they wanted me to go on. 
And, uh, you know, like I think for athletes, you can, it's everybody has their own choice and what they want to do with their career. And each person has different opportunities. Um, you know, for me, while this was all going on, I was really building my coaching business, um, and was very fortunate to have that piece become a probably like over 50% of what I spent my time on and was starting mm -hmm. to get my income from. So when that contract, when we went our separate ways and severed that contract, there was kind of like that, oh crap moment, um, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like, and that's, and that was really like where uh, I just kind of diverged from Instagram. I, I barely post pictures anymore, maybe once a week, if that, um, yeah. I'm pretty active with my story. And, um, you know, that's about it. Cause I don't really have time anymore in my day to day to write a very manicured, um, post, nor does it interest me. Um, yeah. I'm spending a lot more time engaging with my athletes, um, putting my energy into that. Uh, actually has been really beneficial to me, not from a financial standpoint, but for um, a balancing standpoint in my own life. It's very nice to go from a career where you're constantly trying to get like a great photo to put on Instagram to promote a brand to get a paycheck or some kind of incentive to um, taking that time and spending it on lifting somebody else up. And helping yeah. them achieve a goal, a lifelong goal, a big goal that they've had for themselves, that like immediately brought my, that brought me back into alignment with with myself. Yeah. Um, that was something that like I knew that I wanted, but didn't have like the correct impetus for. Um, and although like the skiing and the athletic career has always been a natural evolution, I think the focal point and the shift over where I spend a lot more time working with my athletes than I do on my own career or an Instagram page. Um, you know, that whole thing birthed from losing a huge contract for me. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's kind of, yeah, no, it's kind of funny. Like, so yeah, I, I wouldn't feel uncomfortable about it. I, I'd be thankful for the experience because that's clearly started something good. I mean, I mean, the quote, the quote, how you make your money is more important than how much money you make. I think that that comes to mind when you talk talk about this. Yeah, I, it it really it, it totally, and I agree with you because it's um you know in those situations where you've been you know working your whole career to get like those big contracts, um, you know when they don't work out, like it's certainly a huge disappointment because you feel like as soon as I get that everything's going to be fine. As soon as I get that everything's going to be great. Um, and if that's like f linked to find like something financially related, um, you know, there's huge pitfalls in that way of thinking. It's the same thing if an athlete is going goal to goal to goal. As soon as I climb that peak, everything's going to be great. As soon as I win that race, I'm going to be happy, you know, like, yeah. and most people get to those points and realize that that's never the case. No. In fact, you always just desire more, try to fill yourself up more and more with those things that really don't have any value. Uh, it's how you spend your time, where where there's meaning yeah. uh, and purpose that really matter. And I think sometimes like the experience for me is very positive in the moment. 
you're all, always, I was wrapped up in, you know, the financial losses for myself and like, oh boy, like. Which is understandable. <laughs> of course, but like later, later on, you're, you're like, man, like that couldn't have come at a better time. Like that couldn't have been more, a more powerful and awakening sure. moment. Um, and, and like the beautiful thing is it's a, that whole situation allowed me to um, realign with Dina Fit, who's been a big uh, partner and supporter of, of my career for, you know, many years um, and has allowed us to kind of advance the way we work together in, um, in terms that are like really great for, for both of our brands um, and for my career and for supporting them. And so, like, there's always these, like, positive moments that come later out of uh, the difficult situations. So, you know, a good shout out to Dean if it, not, I'm not obviously on the yeah. show to promote my sponsors over the top. But, um, you know, that was a, um, a very nice unintended piece that came from that was um, kind of a, a strengthening of our relationship. For sure. For sure. Um, and you speak about moving away from Instagram, but you've still done stuff on Instagram. And uh, I've noticed actually quite recently, you're um, in my mind quite poetic. And, um, and you wrote, um, the fruits of the downhill taste twice as good when not served from a lift, uh, which I quite liked. Um, I also enjoyed your caption stating uh, your preference for shots with a skier in rather than shots of a skier. Uh, and for me, that kind of puts humans in perspective, and especially when we're talk about headspace before I, I find when you look at things like that even as simply as looking up at the moon or stars at night you think your problem is massive but we are tiny so and it actually helps me anyway I feel a bit better but for you I was wondering do you draw any parallels between skiing and the challenges of life itself yeah I think of course all the time and there's interesting metaphor in, in some of those um captions and <laughs> it's nice to you know to see you know that someone's hearing me a little bit which is cool hey, um, i'm here <laughs> yeah, i wow um yeah I, I think in trail running and running too especially uh you know at times life seems like a giant uphill battle um but often you know you get to the other side of that with a new perspective, having arrived at a new destination and the things afterwards taste a lot sweeter. Um, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, reminds me about kind of the uphill, um, people, I think people like misunderstand, or at least some of my athletes, you know, they think that, uh, like I'm a great uphill runner or like really strong uphill skier because I've, you know, I had some accomplishments. Um, but, but like all that stuff came with a lot of work and like never felt natural to me. Um, I feel like I'm a natural downhill athlete. Um, and I've had to work like exceptionally hard at the uphill. And I think like a lot of a life is, is like climbing, um, you know, whether it's starting a business and going through the ebb and flow of building like a, a client base or um, having to deal with like the IRS and bureaucracy taxes. Um, I don't know, whatever it is, you know, segueing between uh, an athletic career and, and that was like supplemented for me by working um, in restaurants a lot and working horrendous hours and, 
you know, conditions yeah. that I didn't personally enjoy clientele uh, that. that I didn't enjoy and having to like bite my tongue every day for many, many years to accept a paycheck and something that had no resonance to me. Um, and those like uphill battles, you know, when you finally move beyond that and you know you're capable of it are really empowering. Uh, so when you do get to that downhill moment, um, you know, you can really enjoy it at least for a little while and, and to take pause in that. And I think sometimes with yeah. the landscape shots and everything is like action now in your face, but life doesn't move like that. If anybody's no. taken a second to see your path, um, it's never linear. And so when you really step back, you're like, oh my God, uh, there's all this expanse here. And there I am, the little skier in the photo or something of that nature, I think for me has significance and power. Um, it, like you said, you know, on the day to day when you're, you know, going through the motions of life, especially when you're in, you know, situations that are really uncomfortable or you're not resonating with them and, you know, intuitively you're, you're not meant to be there, but you don't necessarily know where you want to go. Um, but, you know, it's just somewhere where you're not. Um, yeah. It's important to like try to zoom out and have perspective like, you know, these struggles, they're they're also momentary. Um they're fleeting just like the good moments. Uh, so you try not to grasp onto them so much, uh, but yeah. just to be aware that they're happening and to know that you're capable of moving beyond that. Uh, you know, it's interesting thing with ski photography and all of the work that goes into capturing like a good photo that uh, goes to print in a magazine. Um, you know, often you've only got one chance at making that shot happen. Cause once you've, ski through the snow that yeah like, that's what i was thinking yeah landscape will never be the same um so you know life is like that too so like being present in in each moment and trying to um not necessarily pull out the opportunity from it but being open to the opportunity that's only there right then um is something that metaphorically speaking exists in like a lot of ski photography it's one of the reasons why i love hanging out and some of my close friends are photographers um i think capturing those fleeting moments is something really special for sure um and you we mentioned your clients uh, just now as well back in august i noticed a post where you asked them what their whys were so you know why you're starting out is how i interpret it anyway um and i was interested to know what your whys are my whys for coaching or my whys for training and being an athlete or being a human? In all honesty, uh, I know this could be another podcast, but my, but I selfishly wanted it more towards your whole lifestyle from, from yeah. career and passion right through to your company and clients. Mm. Um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously quite personal, but I think my... If you're willing to share, of course, yeah, there's no, no obligation. <laughs> no, I, I would love to. The you know the reason I think my why for for training is is a lot the same as my why for why I coach people. It's the same for you know why I seek kind of a, a middle path in my life uh, rather than a goal to goal to goal or or epic mission to epic mission. Yeah. Um. You know. My why is always rooted in balance. So the things that I do tend to reflect um, a balance. Um, 
So it's, you know, personal pursuit should, for me, is balanced by supporting somebody else in their, in their pursuits um, and even getting in a smaller kind of snippet of that why is the sensations that that gives me and how that kind of fuels my forward momentum as a person. Um, you know, something that I often talk about with my athletes is like, oh, they ask, what's your why behind running? And I love the daily process of improving a little bit every day, mm. making the small steps that over time produce like the big picture goal. Um, and to me that the application of that and the thought behind that applies to like everything that I do, whether it's trying to cook, uh, something that I had not cooked before to, you know, nourish myself and my partner Zoe here at home and to like have a nice evening, you know, it starts like with cooking a good meal or, um, you know, like working with an athlete, you know, each day is an opportunity for me to learn something from an athlete and also to maybe ask a question that provokes some thought for them or, you know, give them um, a bit of perspective that helps to move them forward. Uh, and it's all about those small pieces. It's not like a big chunk because um, everything is like small steps. Sometimes once in a while, you know, you take a bigger leap, you get that big breakthrough, but they're pretty uncommon and like often enough, that big breakthrough, um, you know, what came before it was a lot of little, little steps. So like, you know, day to day, like my why is like in those little steps trying to chase a, an uplifting feeling or um, like a runner's high or like some kind of um, just like the passion that exists in that and the things that exude from that, um, that really resonate with me, the meaning behind those things, like encompass my, my why and the small steps. Like I enjoy the small steps. Mm -hmm. You know, the reason why I do it is because I get to make a lot of small steps that I'm conscious of and aware of and present with that, um, not just affect other people and hopefully a positive way, um, but also affect me in a positive way, which is um, a really nice way to live. For sure. In fact, a, a quote that uh, was brought, as you were saying, those small steps. Um, I, I don't know if you've heard it, uh, Will Smith. Uh, he famously does, does the fear and the skydiving one. But another one he does is, well, if you want to build a wall, you don't think about building a wall. You think, how can I place this brick as perfectly as possible? And you keep doing that and eventually you have a wall. And um, yeah, and that quote kind of was going through my head as you were saying that. Yeah, those those little steps. It's it's amazing how they all add up. I think it yeah. is. I love it. I I think it's something that's underappreciated in world of instant gratification. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and you know, up close powder shots where the action's you know right in your face. Um, sometimes it's good to take a step back and to see things for what they really are. For sure. So um. Uh, this is a, a kind of interesting for me. So one of the first exercise books I ever read was uh, by an ultramarathon runner called Dean Carnesis. Uh, I, mean, I don't know if I'm saying his surname correctly. You may have heard of him. Um, I'm going to go with Dean Carnesis. <laughs> um, um, and he talks about his sacrifices he makes for balancing his family and job for his passions. Um, he often talks about waking up at 4 a.m. to start his, you know, 20, 30, 40 mile morning jogs <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. for him. Um, 
as someone whose passion lies in professional skiing and endurance racing, uh, how do you balance your lifestyle? And I kind of know that they're ones that they kind of run in different seasons. We've kind of touched and we kind of flirted around the topic throughout the podcast so far, but more directly, how do you balance those two things? Well, I think we talked a little bit about it. Um, you know, my training kind of being baselined in a lot of running volume, uh, a little bit of strength work to supplement that. And then, you know, a few days of skiing every week, um, you know, has been very, you know, balancing for me. I think yeah. rounding in one kind of training is helpful for me because I can um, kind of dive into the process behind that. And that's, you know, the small uh, little steps that I can take each day to get better. Um, but in term, you know, the two like are very linked in my mind uh, because the goals that I set for myself in one way or another almost always allow me to live the life I want to live. Mm. Um, they're very reflective of how I want to spend my time. And I, I know like I'm a really privileged person. I'm a professional athlete. I have a coaching business. I work from home. I live in Colorado. I'm pretty local to mountains. I can be in Aspen at the resorts skiing in uh, about 40 minutes um, on the bus. Um, you know, I can be in amazing backcountry terrain near to where I live in Carbondale uh, within, you know, 35 minutes in, um, in a car. And, you know, with that, that affords me a lot of the lifestyle opportunities that I have, which I'm very, you know, I'm appreciative and very, you know, fortunate to have those opportunities. Um, but they are opportunities that I've, you know, in part allowed myself to have because of the goals that I have for myself, the way that I've kind of aligned and prioritized things. Um, and I think that each athlete who, you know, has been involved with running or skiing for long enough, um, and has a career and is a professional, um, in whatever they do or an expert in whatever they do learns to kind of adapt. Um, you know, there is a, a time in my life where like I worked five and six nights a week till, you know, 11, 12, one in the morning. Uh, purely because that allowed me to ski and fulfill sponsorship obligations during the day. Um, you know, like for a long time, that was like very much like a sacrifice. It was hard. Like I went to work tired. I was tired. Yeah, I didn't yeah, take that's... care of myself um, very well. And, you know, those things always kind of reach a, a tipping point or a point where, you know, diminishing returns start to occur and you can't give as much of yourself to your passion. So you have to make an adjustment. Um, but, uh, you know, the, I think it's, it's very much, you know, setting goals that, you know, allow you to live the way that you want to live. Um, when I wake up in the morning, I have the opportunity to coach my athletes for several hours. And, you know, then I go out and go skiing um, or, you know, more recently I've been going out and running um, and then coming home. And, you know, when I get home, it's I get to have self-care time. I run my own business. I pick my own yeah. hours. You know, those are benefits of having my own business and things that I'm happy to be honest about. Um, I can pick and choose when I coach people. Um, 
you know, the fact of the matter is I care very much about the people I coached and I spend a lot of time doing it. Um, so it's not that the coaching, you know, puts the athletic career on a pedestal. It's the two really balance each other out. Like I, I like to split my day up with that because I often feel empowered by working with my athletes and it gives me motivation at times to go out and do my training sessions and then to come back with a clear mind and be very present with those people uh, to help them. And, you know, that's just the way that my world works now. Um, you know, it wasn't always like that, but very fortunate to have that situation at this time. Yeah. And, and actually, there's there's one big difference between at least uh, today, TJ, uh, with with the dean in the book is that the dean in the book had a very well paying six figure job. So obviously that and back in that time when when he's re uh, it was only what 15 years ago, I think the anecdote uh, came from. Um, but working from home was a very kind of rare thing. And um, and that is one big difference to you. And I thought you'd answer like that, generally speaking. Um, I say you're lucky enough to, to have what you have. I hate, I hate it when people say that. It's easy to say in, in quick conversation, but lucky. There's a quote which says, uh, it's funny, uh, the harder I work, the luckier I get. Um, and, uh, and, and I think that's kind of paramount to you. And to the point where I actually, I actually deleted a question from, from, uh, from the notes on my phone. <laughs> um, um, that in that book, uh, you might find it quite funny. Uh, it's about 4 a.m. He's running. He's called a pizza delivery company to deliver. And they're like, okay, what's your address? And, he, and he's like, oh, can you just deliver somewhere down, uh, down I, like I-5 or something, like whatever motorway in California he's on. Uh, highway, sorry. Um, and, and, they're, and they're a bit like, what? And, he, and he's saying, yeah, to call me in about 40 minutes and I'll tell you where I am on the highway and you can come drop it off. And um <laughs> And yeah, I, I was going to ask you if you had a moment like that, but because you have built this life around you, I thought actually there's a very small chance you will have some sort of anecdote at 5 a.m. ordering uh, vegan cheese pizza uh, because um, uh, because you, you've built that life so you can do it in the daytime. <laughs> yeah, it's rare. I mean, there's definitely times where, you know, we, we have to, me or Zoe, we have to make an adjustment to our schedule and do like a super early run or um, of course, you know, if you're doing a big mountain objective, you, you know, that sometimes is a 10 PM start or 11 PM start. It can, you know, be very early. Um, it could be the day before there's all sorts of different scenarios, but I think yeah. on a day-to-day -day basis, I'm like a routine routine kind of person, you know, I like to, yeah. I coach at this time at that time and at that time and between yeah. times like I'm running and or like working on, you know, a project or the, my blog for the athletes, you know, I like, I block my time off. That's how I, I stay like rooted in what I'm doing, especially like working from home. For sure. For sure. Um, so in your own words, you explain uh, uh, your experience climbing and skiing in Colorado, North and South America are paramount to your time on the skis. What kind of lessons have you learned here over time and, and which ones have stuck with you? Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, yeah, I think like my adventures in South America have are like always some of the richest um, and most amazing experiences for me. Um, just being, you know, in a, in a place that's very culturally different than the States um, really has that really shifted my perspective on topics like generosity 
um, you know, like openness, things like that. You know, you know, being in in South America, I find that the people are often very much more generous, more open um, than than some people that you you encounter in in West in the Western part yeah. of the country here. Um, in, in, you know, very nice ski towns and, um, that, that's always something that was really impactful for me. I learned a lot about patience skiing out there, especially in Patagonia where the weather is incredibly different. I learned to, to, to value skiing a little bit, uh, snow that's not exactly the in perfect condition, um, in order to, to have better weather. Um, rather than to ski deep powder snow. And I've started to really appreciate like the opportunities of having endurance um, in, in areas like that, because the approaches can be quite long. The access to good mountains are quite difficult. Um, so being able to like move amongst the terrain in bad conditions um, for long periods of time is like actually really rewarding because you do get to experience the beauty of those places, which is unlike a lot of the terrain that we have here. Um, but certainly was like really big um, in terms of setting me up to like start skiing in, in places like Chamonix, which I always thought were like way over my head in terms of uh, difficulty and, and how, um, involved like the skiing is out there um and, and kind of getting some, my feet wet in patagonia and, and the northern andes a little bit on um, ecuador too and trying to ski in peru and stuff like that like that yeah. those kind of adventures um were just really cool um and inspired me to like travel more and to explore more and become more confident as an athlete with a strong skill set um and to push my my own limits in a responsible way yeah so we touched earlier on you uh studying and having a degree um and uh, you have a ba in political science and government um and I sort of laughed to myself thinking that perhaps the following that uh, following the continually extreme climate that we're in is the reason why you escaped the mountains. Uh, but <laughs> joking aside, uh, for you, what is it about sliding down snow that that just brings you back every time? Um, yeah, it's I mean, the, the feeling, right? It's like chasing those small moments of joy that you get out there and um being aware and consciously aware of the power that those moments have and um kind of lifting you up and promoting yeah. my own well-being um and other people who maybe go through similar experiences for their well-being um mental emotional physical i think that you know i, I i'm out there a lot because or, or running these days uh because like it makes me feel good yeah and uh sliding down snow and pushing my my limit just you know in a respectful and responsible way um you know it's it's an up uplifting experience and escapism too i think I yeah. to my life um which makes my life worth living yeah for sure um so i've been hearing a lot about the uh, the principle of commitment uh, which is basically psychology, uh, psychological study yeah. uh, that basically says if you publicly say you're going to do something, 
then you're because of fear of embarrassment, you're more likely to do it. Uh, and I was thinking back to you with your many, many clients, do you ever feel pressured to get out and train even if you don't really want to that day? Uh, or is that love for training always there? It's almost, it's almost always there. I think it, it you know, there's ebb and flow to the situation. Um, I, I struggled with the mental side of my training um, in, oh, November and December of this year, leading up to a big trail marathon that I did on the 5th of January. Um, my, my heart was kind of pushing me in the direction of like, it's ski season and let's, you know, let's ski, let's get out there. Let's get your legs fit. You know, I had, I was really struggling with the fact that I had put a goal on my schedule that wasn't allowing me to live the way that I wanted to live on a daily basis. I was kind of goes back to what we were just talking about a few minutes ago, where like the goals that you assign yourself or you choose for yourself, um, you need to be prepared to act on the the level of training or daily engagement that they require. Be accountable. Uh, having that commitment. Um, I ran a lot of runs that just were like boring, like folding the laundry. I wanted to be somewhere <laughs> else. I had, you know, it was tough to like, uh, in many of those situations, it was tough to really be engaged. And, and so, uh, you know, I did find time to ski and I did actually get some really great days in and that kind of like helped to balance me out in those situations. Um, but the role of the coach, you have to walk the walk and talk the talk too. And I think that that's incredibly important. Uh, as a role model for other people, as a leader uh, in a community, in an industry, as a coach. Um, you know, if I told people that they needed to train consistently in order to get better, and then I myself had no consistency in my training, there I would have no credibility in yeah. um, my mind. Um, you know, it's the same as if I told people, you know, these are the things you need to do to train for an ultra yet I'd never experienced any of them myself. Yes, um, and, you can't you know, read a book on these things. I think that it's critical yeah. to go through the day-to-day -day process of that. You know, your motivation could be learning about it so you can better coach your athletes. That's acceptable motivation and acceptable why for wanting to run a big race. Um, at the same time, you know, you could also just want to do it because you want to, push your own limits and see what you're capable of as well. Um, and that's totally to me acceptable too. Um, but again, like I tend to like not make too many commitment, public commitments about my, um, my personal goal setting because one, I feel very, very confident in the goals that I set for myself and I don't need the validation of other people in order to, you know, reaffirm that those goals are appropriate to me. That's yeah. something that I've, I've worked on for a long time to feel comfortable with that. You know, I don't need to necessarily post about a success on Instagram either because it, I, you know, I try to look at these things as if, you know, if nobody knew that I was doing them, would I still do them? Would they still hold meaning to me? 
would they still help me to live the life that I want to live? Um, and every time I look at the goals I set for myself, I, I want to make sure that those are things that um, kind of hold the, are held in the foundation and the framework of my goal setting. Um, so, you know, it's commitment is important, but when I commit to something for myself, you know, I, I really fully commit. Um, you know, there are times where, you know, I always tell my athletes, you know, your goals can are relatively fluid uh, and they can change. You know, I've had last summer, it was a big goal of mine to go back out and win the sky running series, um, which I won in 2018. And I, you know, I wanted to like prove that I was a great, you know, uphill runner and strong mountain runner and go and, and like do that two years in a row and just in case anyone doubted that I was good you know that was like yeah. my my reasoning behind like w those goals was not to satisfy myself you know really to like it was about me being insecure in a way or at least in why I committed to that goal right away and then yeah. you know after my first race realized like I had had a, a foot injury um from the end of the previous season that was carrying into um, to last year. And I realized like I wasn't able to train in the, the way that I wanted to, to promote me being competitive um, in yeah. the way that I was the year before. And it was, I had to just let it go and readjust my goals. And it, you know, it was, um, it was, it was really interesting. Um, Gosh, and I'm thinking that felt so long ago. And I'm like, remember, was that last year or the year before? No, but it was last year. And then so I let I had to let those things go and shift my goals, uh, even though I had made like a public commitment to that goal on Instagram, uh, whatever, and to my sponsors at the time. Uh, but then I ended up freeing myself of that. And I worked really hard with my coach to free myself of you know, those reasons for setting goals, like needing to prove myself to others. Um, and it led to three of the best races of my entire career last fall. Um, you know, I had terrible results in a couple sky running events that were not, um, you know, at all uh, reflective of the kind of athlete that I am or the performances that I've had. Um, and it, and I had to work through that, those moments. It was, you know, like the, being in the uphill skin track after, you know, many hours, do I want to keep climbing this mountain, um, and sure. spending time there, but eventually you work your way through it and, and the results on the other side were very uplifting. I started to see what all of the, you know, the process oriented work and the big work, the mental and emotional work and how that was like really helping me in my, my own career and to you know, be successful, successful as an athlete or to like, in, to improve really is the, is the goal. The goal isn't really to beat people. The goal is to just improve. Yeah. Um, so anyways, that, yeah, it's commitment is, is certainly important. I think, um, goal setting is, is critical, but also, you know, you, you don't need to hold tight onto those goals. Sometimes they, they need to be readjusted. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so watching your YouTube videos, 
uh, all those years ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was kind of mesmerized by the adrenaline rush content, uh, mountaineering at the top of uh, off-piste near vertical slopes. How do you manage your mindset when uh, fear or negativity creep in? Yeah, I mean that. If at of, all, you might be you might be balls of steel. <laughs> no, it's it's not really. I think I I definitely experience uh, a lot of fear in those moments. Yeah. Um, it, it's that kind of respect for the situation that um allows you to make good decisions if you're not a little bit scared or cognizant of the consequences. Um, you know, you may make risky choices that put yourself or other people at risk. And and for me, you know, a lot of like how I work through those situations is, you know, the, the practice of meditation and visualization, mm-hmm. getting back to my breath very um, consciously in those, you know, those moments where you're kind of at like the crux of a, a big climb or, or working your way down something that's steep and technical where you have to execute these very precise turns. You know, my, my breathing is um, expressive in those moments. <laughs> I think people who maybe have been around me skiing can hear me breathing pretty, you know, I'm breathing with a lot of purpose and a lot of that is breathing out um, the nerves. Yeah, for sure. And actually you mentioned vis- visualization. Uh, on a more personal note for me, I've got a four-year-old daughter uh, and I took her to the trampoline park and there was a, about a two-meter dive board into foam uh, that she just repeatedly backed out of. Um, and, and so at the end of the session, I, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was kind of disappointed. And I thought, no, no, like slow down. This is you talking. So that, I pulled her to one side and I ran through what she was feeling. And I was like, that's your body saying, get ready. And I said, in this situation, it's get ready to jump. So fast forward, what I then started doing that I remembered I do myself was visualizing. And I was like, just, just right now, Penny, uh, I was like, just now, just imagine yourself just, just jumping off that board into the foam and just thinking about it. And I kept doing that every now and then. And on, on I said, I said, tomorrow morning, we're going to go right back there and you can play for our session, but only once you've jumped off the dive board. And I got to visualize more and more. And again, on the way in. And then we got there and I was like, right, okay, so do you want me to jump first so you can see? And she's like, nope, <laughs> straight up the ladder, straight onto the dive board. I was rushing into the phone pit to video her and she just jumped straight off. And yeah, so it even works from a young child, that visualization, imagining yourself doing it in your head. Yeah. It can eliminate so much fear or at least make you use it to your benefit, I think. It's so yeah. powerful. It's, I, it's very underutilized, but... I think becoming even more um, of a mainstream, for sure, kind of way of uh, dealing with situations that are difficult, for sure. Um, so, in this podcast, uh, typically we invite people on uh, to to speak about a particular trip that they've done, and then we sort of chat through the itinerary. Um, with people like yourself, I think it's more important to do an interview. Uh, but on your website, I was really fascinated by the the Lingen Alps trip in 2018. Oh, cool. Uh, so just as a, as a penultimate thing before we get into some wrap-up questions, I wanted to know how, how was that? Like, what was the itinerary like there? How many days were you spending out there? Uh, wow, yeah, that was such a great trip. We I was with um, two friends and, and a guide. We spent, I feel like it was like seven, seven ski days, maybe six, six ski days with a, with a travel day on either end. 
Um, and we were on this beautiful peninsula in on the north side of the Lingen Alps, uh, which is very far north in of uh, north of Tromso in Norway, um, on the fjord. Close to the North Cape. Yeah. Yeah, like looking looking out, like looking for, you know, um <laughs> the icebergs and, and ice caps and, and yeah. things like that. I mean, we're way north. It's very this is as north as I've ever been. Um the interesting things that you know, the itinerary was, you know, fly in all the supplies from the grocery store and, and we went out to an Airbnb that we rented, which was on um this peninsula on the fjord. Um actually the actually one so one side of the peninsula was on fjord, the other side was on the open ocean. Mm. Um beautiful. I mean one of the most beautiful places I've ever been in my life and the skiing was all around us. So we basically ba based out of the, uh, the Airbnb, uh, which is like little house and drove around in the, in a car from the base of like mountain to mountain, uh, where we wanted to ski and you could pretty much see everything, uh, that you wanted to do. Uh, that so amazing to ski these, uh, beautiful couloirs, and steep, um, very continuously like steep, not super steep skiing, but more um, stuff in that like 38 degree, which is like really nice for kind of skiing fast, um, not overly steep kind of terrain. Um, just that, you know, what I remember from the trip was just these amazing kind of breathtaking 4,000 vertical foot descents straight to the fjords. Uh, you got everything out of all the time spent on the up track climbing uh, to the top of these lines. You know, it was basically when you're at the top, it just drops straight down to the fjord. Um, you know, here the train in Colorado is really benchy. So you spend a lot of time, you know, working your way up to 11,000 feet and then things bench out. And then you, you know, work your way to the base of a peak. You're at 12,000 feet and then you get like, you know, this 1500 or 2000 foot climb to the top. Yeah. And so you never get like this continuous, uh, continuous skiing, um, at the same pitch in the same terrain. And, uh, that was really unique for us. Like we, we really enjoyed that. I think like everybody on the trip, um, was just like, holy cow, like there's just no wasted vertical here. Like it's all great vertical um it's continuous skiing the whole time perfect perfect yeah Norway is one of my favorite countries and I'm I'm looking forward to getting to the north of it because it's I hear it's just stunningly beautiful the, the mountains that are kind of almost like they've just had the tops chopped off in the south they just start getting real pointy in the north which is a uh, really how you imagine a mountain to look so yeah um, yeah uh, so just before we get to some wrap-up questions um looking towards your company now Mm -hmm. uh, and especially doing a podcast, I didn't want to go not mentioning what you do because it's pretty wholesome stuff. Um, so looking towards your company, what were your drives for setting it up? And I'm also interested to know, did it just grow naturally or have did you set out to create what you have today? Um, I mean, there was a, lo a lot of what, you know, I, my company is called Microcosm Coaching. Um, I work with uh, Zoe. And Kristen, there are my two other coaches, uh, Kristen Moore, Zoe Rome, and um, we're supporting uh, about a hundred athletes right now. Um, and it's, gr I mean, it's grown. So since I was on, 
the Stokecast in 2018, which you you know you listened to, and then you you saw me on the the panel discussion a couple of weeks back. You know, I had a handful of athletes at that time, and um, you know, I spent a lot of time developing the philosophy behind the brand, like in the company, the mission statement. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time developing. Uh, from reading and studying coaching methodology, our methodology that we would use and kind of the the framework for coaching people that could be given to other coaches and applied um, to the athletes in the same manner. So all of the athletes would be getting the same quality of coaching. Um, and the cool thing, you know, that's kind of gone on, you know, I've, I've had a lot of help and mentorship from my coach, David Roche, in the process which has been instrumental. David's been really supportive. Um, he's been amazing at referring clients to us and yeah. answering any questions that we, you know, have throughout the process as, you know, one of the most experienced coaches and running coaches in the ent- on the entire planet. Um, you know, you couldn't ask for a better person to have like in your corner helping you yeah. out. Um, you know, that, that was pr- that's been paramount that is still you know paramount uh for us as we grow as a new as a new company um but i you know to me it's beyond the coaching you know we're developing a community where athletes support each other where coaches are accountable to each other and athletes are accountable to each other because we always talk about like commitment in the training process how do we you know train every day and make these small steps that um propel us forward over time. And we found that like adding this community element where we do uh, bi-weekly Zoom check-ins with our athletes. And we usually have like a, a quarter of our athlete roster, you know, 20, 25 people on these, in these open discussions. Um, we have a lot of people engaging in our Strava club to support each other in the running or on Facebook in our private Facebook group, talking with each other and supporting each other. We have a mentorship program where, you know, people with certain skills outside of running can mentor other people, um, other people in the group who are interested in those same things, career paths, or have questions about like sleep or mindfulness or, you know, whatever it is on that kind of stuff has given the community a lot of value. And I think value to the coaching programs themselves, where it's not just like, you know, you sign in uh, to Google spreadsheets document, you get a workout, you do your workout, uh, you write about how it feels. And I tell you, great job. Uh, (laughs) You know, there's there's a lot more to it, which is reflective of kind of our mission uh, to develop a community. And that's been something that Zoe and I have worked really hard on together um, over the last six months to formulate and to put into action and into practice. Um, although a lot of it comes, the evolution of it, a lot of it uh, does kind of just naturally grow, uh, which is really nice. Um, you know, nothing is without purpose or underlying intention. We, you know, this is all part of a plan, <laughs> which is really cool to see it, yeah. to see it working so quickly. Perfect. Perfect. So I've just got three wrap up questions then just to tie it all off. Okay. So, um, so we're in quarantine at time of recording uh, and it got me thinking uh, of a kind of a fun question to ask. So you've got the mountains to yourself. You've got transport to get to one mountain. Where are you skiing and why? Right now. Yeah. 
So I'm not skiing at all. Right? Oh no, so in, in this hypothetical situation, uh, you get, you've got transport to get to one mountain. Which, which one in the whole world, which one do you want to go to and go ski on? All to uh, yourself. Uh, yeah, that's easy. It would be Grand Mont Mon uh, Monte in, in um, Chamonix for sure. Nice. Most, yeah, that or Aguida Medea. I guess it's not, not that easy. Grand Mont Monte probably because I think it's got some of the best access to steep climbing and steep skiing in the smallest area on the planet. Um, that's it. That's the spot. For sure. Nice. I, I, I like how quickly you just came straight out with it. Um, <laughs> um, so I was also surprised to learn as well that you studied music alongside your, your BA in political science. So I was thinking, whilst you're on that way to that mountain, what are three non-negotiable tracks for the road trip? Three tracks or three albums? Oh, which one do you, would you prefer to answer? Albums, I guess. Albums, I think, you know, I, I would well, go. I mean, we've got time. France is a long way from Colorado. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Let's go albums. Sure. Um, My Morning Jacket, Circular, I think would be the album. I think that's what it's called. Uh, I would go with... Um, hmm... Yeah, Miles Davis, um, oh. kind of blue, and um, gosh, I mean, I could throw another jazz record or. Uh, it's your road trip. You do what you need to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I don't know, man. I think. Um, searching through the library at the moment <laughs> I, I am i'm just searching to see what yeah. I'm, I'm like listening to right now probably you know it would probably be what did i say i said kind kind of blue miles davis um my morning jacket circular yeah god that's such a good album and yeah i'd probably go with um under the pressure maybe war on drugs is that the, is that the name of the album I that one goes look. over my head I've uh, say. A deeper understanding yeah okay war on drugs, deeper understanding yeah those are like top listens for me all the time for sure for sure yeah. uh next time i'll ask a five or ten and it'll be easier <laughs> but um last question i'd be happy to provide a list <laughs> yeah. uh, that's a that's a fourth podcast i think off the back of this just just on music <laughs> um last question then in your whole career let's say starting from when you're 13 years old and you just started skiing just when that that little flame just ignited if you could pick one moment to relive what moment would that be uh wow i think it would probably be the first day of like real backcountry like powder skiing that I ever had. I was 17 and I was skiing on Bear Creek, which is a backcountry side country zone adjacent to Telluride ski area access off the resort. And I think that was the first day I'd ever skied powder that was so deep that I couldn't see like any turn. I just couldn't see period. <laughs> and the snow was going into my mouth, so I had to spit it out because I was choking so <laughs> bad on it. 
and and we we dropped into this line and we skied like a thousand vertical feet of snow like that just weightless snow all around you the white room they call it you can't see anything all you can do is feel you just feel everything uh we got to the bottom of of that particular line and like looking back up at those tracks and being like oh my god that was the greatest moment of my entire life um yeah that's something i'll never forget that's what like totally hooked me on backcountry skiing i would relive that (laughs) over and over again if i could and sometimes do visualize that such a good moment for sure perfect well listen tj thank you so much for giving me an hour and a half of your time i've really really appreciated it thank you yeah and um and uh yeah hopefully we'll see you in another one soon yes uh yeah we can uh chat uh travel down the line i'd be happy to talk for sure for sure cheers tj thank you very much yeah thank you so much that was great a super super good interview there i really enjoyed his answers it was great just to listen to him and i found it really refreshing and reminded me myself actually not to focus on goal to goal and and to take little steps and work on those making them as perfect as i can if you'd like the show please consider talking to your friends about it sharing it and subscribing so that you don't miss another episode If you'd like to get in touch and come on the show, you're more than welcome to get me on btmtravelpod at gmail.com or you can follow Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at btmtravelpod. But otherwise, I hope you have a great day and I'll see you in the next one.